TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Careers Unplugged, the weekly show connecting you to secrets of career success. Careers Unplugged is hosted by Rich Sayer and Stu Hayes and proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program. If you feel being happy, committed and passionate about your career is important, you're in the right place. My name is Stu Hayes and I'm here with the outstanding, inspirational, one and only co-founder of Careers Unplugged, Make It Big Training and the Master of Me coaching program, Rich Sayer. How are you, Richie Roo? Well, I'm, I'm just feeling chuffed about that, uh, that, that little intro. That was, that was really <laughs> nice. It's actually a first, isn't it? It is a first and it, it, was, it was refreshing. I'm feeling quite wondrous now. And, uh, and so now another first, I'm going to introduce today's guest, which is a really personally exciting uh, guest for me because it's a very dear friend of mine. She's indeed an inspiring woman. She's a multicultural artist who performs in multiple acts that I have seen many times, including Tumbarumba, the Rhythm Brazil spectacle. And she's the lead artist in Netta All Colour Project, a world music and fashion extravaganza. She's going to like that one. I put the fashion in there. <laughs> she specialises in Brazilian percussion, original world music, both electro and acoustic influence, and has performed on nearly every major stage in Australia, including the Big Day Out, Grand Prix, Splendour in the Grass, the Arts Centre, Victoria, Federation Square. I could go on and on, but I won't. Netta Romani, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rich and Stu. You guys are the best. Thanks for that beautiful intro, and it's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you, Netta. So, what an amazing uh, intro that Rich has given you, Um, such a a variety of things you're doing. Can I ask you, where did it all begin? What was your first job? Sure. It began, well, I began in country, well, I call it country Queensland, but I I grew up in Harvey Bay, and my very first job was as a 13-slash-14-year-old. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I remember I was probably too young to be there. It was in a fish and chip store and I was doing <laughs> <laughs> ice creams for the public because I wanted to help my parents pay for my ballet shoes. Of course, my parents were paying exorbitant fees because I was addicted to dancing. Right. And it was a six-day-a-week commitment they had to pay for. I would go after school <laughs> and on weekends and I'd walk myself there and there was big expenses, <laughs> so I tried to chip in a little bit. Pardon the pun. Pardon the pun, exactly. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So let's just clear this up. Do you like the brown pickled onions or the white ones, or you don't have pickled onions at all? I didn't try any, oh. but I remember looking at the jars going, oh, the pickled, pickled onions are a must. <laughs> so you're in the fish and chip shop. Um, yes. You're doing this to sort of, I guess, because you've got a goal of, of dancing. You love dancing. Um, you're serving ice cream. Yes. Um, presumably this is a cash-only establishment and they're paying you under the table because you're only 13. <laughs> I, I remember there were those – it was my first time I saw an invoice, so invoice books. I do remember getting a little scribbled invoice for some low amount like $4.30 an hour or something like that. I remember seeing my boss write that out handwritten. Oh, Okay. <laughs> and what was your, I mean, you, you, so you're there, you're, you're there with a passion, with a purpose. You know, yes. you're, a, you're a dancer, you want to be a dancer, you're dancing six times a week. That's right. What was your goal at that early stage? 
My goal was to satisfy my dance teacher. I've always had this relationship with dancing, which I let go of after university, the strict ballet classes, but I always wanted to please my teacher who was trying to teach me how to be in control of my body and so that it could perform the way it was desired within the ballet structure. And you would laugh if you could see photos of me back then. I was a tubby little thing that didn't think my hair could grow long with short hair and I, whenever I could I'd be down the beach soaking up the sun rays so I was as, as black and chubby as you can get <laughs> and as boisterous as you could get. And she had to position me in the middle of lots of beautiful blonde ballet dancers who were all the other, <laughs> other ones. So my, my, I wanted to be the best ballerina I could be, being the most out-of-place little girl that could possibly want to be that. <laughs> so, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we're buddies and, uh, yeah. and I've seen you perform a lot. And I'm just trying to think back when I first met you and I, I really can't even uh, remember when that is what now. That it's, 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 quite, <laughs> it's quite a long time ago. But yes. I, I associate you with all things rhythm. You, uh-huh. know, yes. you, you know, in my experience uh, of your career, it's been very uh, drum and rhythm yes. oriented, whether that's dancing or, or drumming or, or percussion mm-hmm. in general. Sure. And, and I know you've traveled quite widely. Uh, yes. You know, and, and absorbed a lot of different cultures into your music. That's you know, cool. when, when did the drumming start for you? The drumming started at the end of my university. So I went to university, Victoria University and studied a Bachelor of Arts in Performance Studies. And by the final year, there was a samba school um, that my younger sister was going to and my parents wanted me to accompany her because she was much younger than me. Mm. And um, they really influenced me. And by the, t- by the time we were nearing the end of the third year, I was fully immersed in this Brazilian samba school and feeling like, I was a bit of a hypocrite being a ballet dancer at the front of this Brazilian samba group. And, and I thought, I need to go to Brazil. I need to learn the language first. I need to go to Brazil and find out why this music is so addictive. Because I did feel like people were very attracted to me and always asking me, are you Brazilian? And as you know, Rich, I'm Persian Mauritian, which is almost the opposite of Brazilian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if you drilled a hole through the planet, you'd almost come out over there, which... That's in exactly Persia somewhere. Right. And the cultures are so different. I mean, the tropical side of Mauritius, which I had already been to study the drumming and music in Mauritius before, before Brazil, yep. but um, the, the, especially the Persian side is quite the opposite to Brazilian culture. So I decided rather than being continuously faced with this question at the end of every big performance because we were becoming, the Samba School was becoming a band that was in quite high demand already Mm. in its first six to eight months. And that was a very natural progression. It wasn't something that we put our heads together with a business meeting and thought how can we, you know, get down on the streets in Fitzroy and then into the corporate industry. It was just something that we did and were requested by Nike and then requested by everyone to be at the soccer matches and then the corporates would see us and wanted us at their parties and then 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 we hit the scene. So this sped up really quickly and um, very naturally. So I decided to learn Portuguese for six months and then hit Brazil and learn um, learn from the bands that I was really highly influenced by because we were making original music and I wanted to show them what we were doing and ask for advice. And so I hit the streets of Brazil for just over a year and I experienced so many different things. You wouldn't believe how little playing I did 
because I was getting right into the culture and learning why they play their music the way they do. And what's the, what's the short answer to that question? Why they're do they? What, what, what is at the guts of Brazilian music? They're trying to express what I call enthusiasm. Yep. But, um, but, you know, often there'll be a slogan behind why a particular festival is happening, which has happened for the last 60 years. It might be, you know, holding on to Afro roots might be the name of the festival or it might be forever remembering slavery so it never happens again. But I just can see that slavery is a thing of the past for them now, but enthusiasm is something they're addicted to, decorating and celebrating through music and song. And I just think they're professional enthusiasts. So, Nita, <laughs> early on, you, you talked about that success was coming naturally and fairly quickly um, yes. you know, with the, you know, the corporate world, you know, playing at the football and stuff like that. Yes. Um, and it, then it seems to me that you started to say, well, gee, you know, I want to I have some goals here. I want to yeah. firstly learn more about the roots of this, of this art form, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Are goals important to you? Yes, they are. They're very important to me. I'm very future-focused. I was even thinking about it the other day. I'm right into documenting everything I do, and I know that being professional as a performer, photographs are very important because people forever remember that moment or look for you in that moment online. But I'm not really one to put a photograph of myself up on the wall but more to be thinking and of what 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 do I want that photograph to look like in the future or that performance to be in the future or that costume or, or that concept? So, yeah, goals are important because I'm a future-focused person. <laughs> That's the thing with the arts too that, uh, you know, with the performance arts, yeah. dance, music, it's spontaneously produced and consumed. Yes. So, you know, you, you play the a certain... Yeah, yeah, that's right. The moment it's, it, you've made it, it's gone. And, yes. And, or the moment you've done that dance, it's over, where it's not like a, a painter who can, you know, work Paint. on... Work, yeah, work on the painting over a period of time and, and come back and erase bits and go again. Do you think that that's something that you enjoy? That, yes. That, that, that sort of uh, creative energy burst... And I mean, I know yes. you, you're a pretty energetic person. So, <laughs> I enjoy the moment. And the other thing I love is listening to someone when they're trying to create that moment, whether it be a client or a festival director or an agent who's talking with me about what they want to make happen for someone. I love hearing people say, you know, I, I, you know talk about the feeling they want to create in a moment because that is what I'm professional at, creating moments and creating that from that idea, creating a spectacle. And I know what it takes. It takes a particular colour or a particular person or a particular 20 people on force affirming an intention. So, yes, it's all moments, moment focus being a performer and, you, um, and I understand the finite difference between a moment being tacky or natural or... Yeah, I think I, I know the can I, I'd like to jump in and ask a question here because yes. I think this is a really powerful um, subject that applies in, um, in many instances continuously for people. So, um, so just go with me. Yes, please. Yes, please do. <laughs> so on one hand, like, you know, you're a very future-focused person and, and you, can, um, you have a tremendous gift to see um, what a moment could be and then to be able to create that moment so that it can be shared by all the people you perform in front of. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, 
to be a great performer, I'm, I'm speculating, but when you're actually in the moment, you have to be in the moment and totally present. Yes. How do you how do you sort of trade off that sort of dual dynamic of, you know, balancing looking forward with being here and now? Yes. So there's this thing. It's called adrenaline. <laughs> 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 makes you if you if you become a victim to adrenaline, and I'm addicted to that adrenaline from live performance. Um, if you it forces you to be in the moment, or else you you start looking funny. You start looking like you're in shock. You have, to, you, have to, you have to feel it, enjoy it, smile and express it. Otherwise, you start to – I don't know if I can explain that to you. It's kind of something no, – I get that. You're in front of an audience of 2,000 people and, and they're, they're looking at you and you, your moment that you were creating or creating for someone is happening. They often get this look on their face like they're watching television because they can't believe what they're seeing. Mm. And they're in public. They might be out having a great time at a festival, but you can't. You can't be a victim to the shock of the adrenaline because you'll start to look like them too. Because you start looking at them. <laughs> you know, it's well, playing, but you have I, to. I always found it easier with a big crowd than a small crowd. I totally agree with that. You know, because with a small audience, and I've done gigs, you know, back in the day when I was performing. For, you know, the bar staff only, you know, yes. you're in an empty room. <laughs> and then at the other extreme when you're in front of thousands of people and, you know, I've had that experience as well. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's, it's easier somehow when there's a big crowd. And- it's easier somehow when there's a big crowd and it's, it's really risky because I've got that little rule of only doing original compositions and, and productions too. So we know what they like. We know if we bust out something that they've heard before, they're going to throw their hands up and cheer and... But when you're presenting something that they've never heard before mm. or maybe only 100 of them in the audience have heard it before and the other, whatever, 40,000 haven't, it's a risk and you're taking it and you, you've got to be in that moment, Stu, and just I call it artist flow. You've got to go with it and be in a flow state and people are forever inspired by that if you can relax oh, into that. I mean, that I, I say uh, I ask the question because I know um, for me that um, I – I get really self-conscious when I'm up on a stage and, yes. um, and that adrenaline shock when you said, yeah. you, you asked, do I understand that I understand it? Um, but I think I probably end up more the shocked person than not the one that gets the flow. But I find that for me, if I can be very uh, present and that's, that's, and then I connect with the audience actually, and yes. that's the way that, um, if you can be present much, in the moment, you can hook into that adrenaline and use it to your advantage and you'll shine. <laughs> I, I've been there, Stu. I've seen myself in reflection. I've seen myself be a, a victim of that shock. And, um, <laughs> shock and awe. So <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> Uh, I, I've seen you perform so many times. I find that hard to believe that you you uh, you have any shock left at all. But, uh, look, I, I want to change the direction of conversation, and I want to actually talk about the original music. And um, I know myself, having uh, produced and recorded a couple of records myself, it is quite a challenging uh, process to to believe in yourself during yes. that process. And in, I agree. Uh, uh, there's been times. In my life, it felt like, and I still have these times occasionally in different aspects of my life, where it feels like I'm Charles Atlas carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. Yes, and, yes. and particularly when you've got a band or you've got a team of staff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're people that believe in you and there's a sort of a sense of obligation to yes. them. How do, you, yes. how do you cope with that? And, this- and have you had 
dark moments? Yes, yes. So my big, if I was to explain perhaps my darkest career moment, it would have been in the production of um, All Colour Project, my new album, All Colour, and I was trusting other semi-professional artists. Semi-professional is the key thing here (laughs) with my artistic vision. And it's, a you know, twice I've engaged or paid, you know, amateur producers. It's been in the film industry and in the audio industry that this has happened. So making my own film clips and also making the album Mm. where I've run into producers that get very excited at the budgets that I collect to do this. And and um and and give you know budgets I put out, and then I find myself being actually railroaded with my creativity, mm-hmm. and it's almost like I get creatively held hostage, and that's so difficult difficult for me to accept because I'm a very trusting person, and when someone says they can't wait to work on my original music and this that and the other, the moment I start seeing them railroading or writing me off my own songs or. Yeah, these things I find very confusing because I would never do that to someone, especially if they were paying me to help them produce their music. I think it's quite an honour, you know, to be working with any artist. So if I understand when I'm contracted to help someone else, but then when I see someone doing that to me, I find it really difficult. And I feel like I'm paying for their own professional development rather than adding value to my creative product, Mm. which is what they've been hired for. And what's that and led to for you? What sort of That's situations? led to complete paradigm breakdowns. I, I will, <laughs> because I can't believe people's behavior. So I go into, a, into shock and disbelief that another person <laughs> could be paid $20,000 to railroad me off my own project and, and me be left not able to put a song out because it's not even my song. You know yeah. what I mean? They don't want to record my lyric. So, you know, I have to unfortunately lock down and get into um, lawyer mode when it become, gets to that stage and defend myself and start again. Obviously, the way, or not obviously, but the way I got myself out of both of those situations was to hire professionals. You know, I went to Sydney for um, the be- what I, who I think is one of the best music producers to mix my album the way I wanted it mm. um, because he, at the time he was winning arias and just, you know, winning all the great awards for the presets. So I don't mm. know if you've heard of the presets sure before. Have, yeah. And I just thought this man is the one who can do it for me. Scott Horscroft is the one who can do what I paid for mm. and was quite happy to double pay in that situation and leave the other person behind. Uh, and- I know like when you're with songwriting and uh- – Recording, I mean, yeah. two separate processes. Although these days that that is not necessarily the case, but but mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know it, it's there's a lot of ego, personal ego attached to to the mm-hmm. the song. Uh, That's right. when you've written it. It's your baby, mm-hmm. and then you want to give it the best life. That's right. I wanted to pay someone to make it better. Yeah, not, yeah. Not not write me off it, but uh, yeah, but I, take away from it what it didn't need and add to it what it did. So those that being the darkest moment, you know, it was darkest for you because you felt disappointment in other people. Mm-hmm. Have you had moments where you felt disappointment in yourself? Yes. So I felt disappointed in myself that I didn't do the research before I got myself into that. So I learned from um, with the music production one and with the three film clips mm. that have gone through a similar process, I learned that 
I need to see that person's work and understand that person's work much, much more before I engage. And I mean, this is something that John Butler taught me maybe four years before I got myself into trouble, mm. but I had to learn the lesson myself. <laughs> it's funny how that happens. That. Yeah. He told me a couple of times, he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to work with that producer. Can you send me a few, a few tracks and can you do this? And I'd send him a few tracks and, yeah, it, it just it didn't click to me what he meant when he was asking me to send him that. He was really saying, Netta, look into this man's production yourself. And, I, you know, I perhaps got those people who were able to manipulate me perhaps had the gift of the gap. Mm. Or perhaps my heart wanted to nurture their their creativity a bit too, because I'm a bit of a mother hen. So these are these are my problems, you know. I <laughs> I, I want to nurture everyone, and the, you know, I only want the best for the Australian music scene. And I know I have a lot to do with helping some of the young up and comers get into the industry, especially in the world music scene. Consider it as a profession, not just a hobby. This, that, and the other. So I perhaps do need to sometimes drop my mother hen attitude and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and mother hen myself. <laughs> well, look, you know, I have to say you, you have an amazing group of friends and performers around you. Yes. And, uh, you know, when you talk about uh, um, what you're just discussing there, you know, almost like dating before you marry, uh-huh. uh, you know, <laughs> musicians get together and jam. Yes. And uh, the musical chemistry takes place all on its own. Yes. Uh, that business chemistry that you're talking about there, when you're talking about other suppliers to the business of being a musician, yes. uh, that's a little more difficult to jam. Yes. Know? And, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I didn't attempt it for 10 years. So my first 10 years of my career was all out there on the stages, just, you know, earning money from the productions and, or just doing little shows here and there and, and, and um, attracting income for the artists that I work with through the costumes and the music. And after 10 years then, you know, I started to develop myself and started to meet the music producers, meet the film clips teams that come together. And that, that was a new industry for me and I, I thought I could apply my experience in music to those other genres and, you know, I was a baby, even as a, a mature artist, but a, a baby in understanding those methods of production and technology and, yeah. yeah I'm interested, a- Neto, you know, so you, you, you've come, um, it's almost like your, your career flowed beautifully, you know, left ballet school, um, drawn into uh, to, to samba, to Brazil, you know, up on the stage a decade. Um, mm-hmm. Then the business sort of, started to kick in, you know, mm-hmm. and then you started to hit some, some tough times on a, a part of the mix, as Rich said, that was the business part, you know, which, which is harder to jam in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've all had situations where suppliers have let us down in business. Mm-hmm. Did you have mentors or people that were there for you that, that gave you wake-up calls, for example, um, at different times to keep you on track through Definitely. that? Definitely. So the, the earlier mentor, early on, it was John Butler, and he really took me under his wing through his seed program. He picks different artists every year and flies us to the Blue Mountains and we get to, you know, meet Triple J, meet music lawyers for a week and pick their brains and develop our product. So I was fortunate enough to have 
John and his beautiful wife, Danielle, who is Mama Kin. I don't know if you've heard of her artistry too. She's a great singer. They really invested in my career, to be honest, and not just with, you know, the financials of what it takes for them to take me to the Blue Mountains and do that networking, but to bring those professionals to us. So mm. to meet Richard Kingsmill and spend the, you know, a few days with him, I don't even know if a lot of the artists that are played on Triple J have even met him. You know what I mean? Yeah. That sort of thing. So John Butler was definitely one of the mentors who took me under his wing early on and he's still always there for me and his manager, John, uh, uh, John Stevens, also. Mm. There's, there's also another close friend of mine, Greg Harbage, who's always been a great entrepreneur. You know, we opened up a little thing called Rhythm Effect a long time ago, which was a, a, a corporate drumming program and rhythm-based activities but Greg has now go on, gone on to work for the Melbourne Business School. He's become an entrepreneur and is advising the Melbourne Business School now. And we have kept a close friendship. And also I do, do I work separately from Greg for Melbourne Business School because they love to hear me talk about artist flow and, and how the analogy of how music is very exposing. So your team is really exposed if it's not working mm. and they like to relate that to corporate business practice too. So I often go out and speak to corporates. Over the last eight years I've been going out and speaking to corporates about artist flow and team flow. So Greg has been one of my mentors and when I hit any of these walls, I'll often take it to him and say, what do you think? Look at what I did. Look at what happened. Look at what the result is. Where can I go from here? And Greg's a very future thinker and a future planner too, and I think he really pushed me out of the – I used to be one of those reminiscing artists that <laughs> used to always think, oh, wasn't that moment great? That was fantastic. And then I would just sit here until maybe Rich would call me and create another magic moment for me. I was, I was very lucky, you know, to have – some people who were creating those future moments for me, but Greg helped me really develop them for myself also. What would you say is your biggest break over the, whole, over the course of your, your performing oh. career, which is, you know, it's, it's, you've, yeah. you've been around a while now, love. <laughs> uh, what, what would you say is your, um, your biggest break in, in terms of as a performer? Yeah, well, I'm not too sure which one it was. I mean, there's a, there's a couple... The reformation of Daddy Cool was a little while ago mm. and Ross Wilson, who I know you two know also, mm -hmm. um, Ross Wilson called me up. I didn't know Ross Wilson at that stage and asked me to form, be a member of Daddy Cool for that reformation at the My Music Bowl. And it seemed to be that I was just a little percussionist then and also um, playing for Tumbarumba around town, but it seemed to be that that raised my profile almost straight after I was asked to tour for Horace Andy from Massive Attack, who is a Jamaican Lund slash London, he also lives in London, artist. Mm. And, and as soon as I toured for Horace Andy as his backing vocalist and percussionist, then came the Congos, then came Prince Allah. These are all famous Jamaican artists that tour around the world. And I seem to be at the forefront of being possibly one of Melbourne's only touring female performer percussionists. And yeah. You got the right haircut, you see. <laughs> the hair made a big difference. Being female made a big difference. And actually being able to play made a massive difference. It meant, my, you know, it meant these things kept on going and that the musical directors of these projects were calling me in whenever they had a special budget or, or were going to do something on television. They would give me a call and make their band just that one member bigger. So... 
I think some of those moments made a big difference and started to make me think bigger even about Tumbarumba. And then when I perhaps pick the Brazilian highlight, it would be for Tumbarumba at Federation Square for New Year's Eve way back. Rich put me there. And then also Rich put me at New Year's Eve last New Year's Eve, which was 90,000 people strong with my All Colour project. And, you know, that was me seeing – I delivered All Colour project shows before for Parliament House and also for – Federation Square in daytime programs, but that particular show for Richard was a little smaller. It was 15 on stage. (laughs) It it was pretty big. It was pretty big. Usually 25, but it was 15 on stage, but I felt... I felt the synchronicity between Rich the agent, between the production team and also the artists on stage. I felt a beautiful synchronicity and then to look out at the audience inspired by the what they were seeing... I really felt it all click on every avenue on stage. There was no adrenaline shock that night, was it? Yes, there was a lot of smile and true celebration of New Year's Eve with ninety thousand people and a great team. <laughs> so, Nero, you know, thirteen-year-old fish and chip shop, scooping <laughs> ice creams, avoiding pickled onions. Uh, years later, ninety thousand people synchronicity on stage. Yeah. What's the golden nugget? You know, with that, I'm not going to say mother hen, but what's the golden nugget that you? Uh, um, you know, that you would offer someone at the start of their career or earlier on? I'd tell them to trust that little tiny spark inside them, that little spark that, you know, perhaps someone might say, I remember my ballet teacher saying, don't quit your day job, that boring old Australian saying that's so, so sticky. It comes out in every conversation whenever I've got my drums out in front of me. But I would say quit your day job. Yeah, go for <laughs> it. How do you make sure that you do continue in the direction that the little tiny spark is uh, mm. encouraging? Take care of your mental health. I think that's very important. And, uh, you know, a big part of that is what you eat, what you do every day. If you're not feeling good, you need to exercise and keep your body feeling strong and well and your mind will be well. I think if you take care of yourself, that spark will always be there. And then you can have to listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, it's it's it's, uh, it's that classic um, analogy of the farmer and sowing seeds. You know, you to get a crop to grow, you've got to sow the right seeds and nurture them. Yes, and, and in the arts, that's very much the case. Believe it or not, we're out of time, and, oh, and it does, doesn't go quickly. <laughs> it does, but wasn't it fun? <laughs> it, <laughs> it was. Stu, have you got anything you'd like to uh, to say to finish up? Oh. Uh, Look, Netta, um, it, it's awesome to talk to you. I, I really I say that um, with great um, conviction because I, 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 I am one of the people in the audience of 90,000 in shock. Um, and I love, I love seeing you on stage and it's great to talk to you. And, you know, some of the insights you've given today are, are truly applicable in all career fields. There's no question about that. So thank you so much. Thank you, Stu. And it's lovely to meet you too and be here with both you and Rich. And I can't wait to go and listen to some of your other interviews. I'm sure they're going to inspire me and help me too. Well, there's one there with Ross Wilson. You could, you... I'm going to check it out. <laughs> thanks so much, sweetie. To all of you at home, in the car and wherever you are, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the insights provided by Netta and uh, I'm sharing her journey with you. Don't forget to visit makeabigtraining.com to access more information about Netta and our other guests. Leave a comment and access a whole bunch of resources designed specifically to help you make it big in life, career and business. This has been Careers Unplugged with Rich and Stu. Careers Unplugged, proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program. 
helping you succeed in life, career, and business. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.